Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I love what God is doing in our church family. I love that we worship together. Some of you have not gotten to know Zach. Zach's fairly new to Lawndale, uh, but I've, I've grown already in a short time to love him. He's, he's a young man who walks with the Lord. He's investing in the next generation. He teaches high school students at Caldwell Academy, and he is single, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that matters to any of the young ladies or not, but uh, Zach, you owe me. We're going to approach our text just a little bit differently this morning. I'm, I'm not going to necessarily do a linear approach, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take one verse and then we're going to expand it out into this larger passage uh, in 1 John 4, we're actually covering verses 7 through 21. It's a lengthy passage, but where I want the focus to be on this morning is verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We know that this is inspired by you. It's given uh, by you so that we could be taught, we could be rebuked, we could be corrected, we could be trained in righteousness in order that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This morning, we want to do your work, not ours. We want to do every good work that you've put us here on earth to do, and we know in ourselves we can't, but you've given us help. And we pray that this morning as we better think about the helper, as we better think about the help you've given us, that we'll be more equipped to do this work that you've given us. Father, we do pray for our students while they're away this weekend too on their retreat. Bless them. We pray that you'll protect them. We pray that they would be uh, revived, that those students who don't know you, that this will be that weekend that they place their faith in you. We pray that those who already know you, may they grow deeper in their faith, build relationships. Let it be a powerful weekend for Zach and all the students while they're away. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's think for a minute about who the Holy Spirit is. I think that's a legitimate question. We, we hear about the fact that God is one and yet he exists eternally in three persons. Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, in one of the most important texts that we refer to often as far as the marching orders of the church, the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, we see this laid out that we're to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even though God is one and exists eternally in three persons, each one of those persons is equally God. I know sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our mind around. How can God be one and how can God be three? Trinity. But it is true, and last week we focused a little bit more broadly on the Son as we looked at our text. Uh, we also should focus uh, in that same kind of way on the Father. And back in chapter 3 and verse 1, we see Him mentioned very clearly. But this morning, it's also important for us to focus on the Spirit. Who is 
the Holy Spirit. Well, think about this statement that I have just scripted out. The Holy Spirit is an equal member of the Trinity. The Father's not any more important than the Son. The Son's not any more important than the Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is equal. He is God, the Holy Spirit. He, not it, he's a person. He is God and possesses all the qualities of God, being holy, eternal, perfect, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. The work of the Son brought a new relationship with all believers as the Spirit now regenerates, saves, indwells, helps, and seals all who are in the family of God, all who know the Father as their heavenly Father. John wrote extensively about the Holy Spirit. When you look back in the Gospel of John, especially there are three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is giving us a lot of information that we had not known up to that time, even instructing us about when he would go away. It's interesting, one person has said, and I think rightfully so, the Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. I mean, Jesus said, that's why I've got to go away so that I can send the Spirit. So Jesus was located in one place at one time, and the Holy Spirit now is in all believers everywhere. So it's important for us to think about the idea of the Holy Spirit. John wrote about him. Even in John 3, we see that it's the Spirit who brings the new birth. And as John wrote later in Revelation, he talked about, let the church hear what the Spirit says to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. After he had written each one of those churches, seven churches in Asia Minor. And then even the seven spirits around the throne of God. It's my interpretation that that number seven is perfection and how the Spirit of God is also there at the throne of God as we see Him throughout the book of Revelation. So one way to better understand the work of the Spirit is to ask the question that the psalmist did in Psalm 122, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills, the psalmist said, from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And so as we're studying through this book of 1 John, we're seeing some intense instructions. We're seeing the kind of fruit that would be impossible for us to produce as mere humans by ourselves. God knew we couldn't do it by ourselves. He gave us a helper. So there is help for the moral test. When you look back in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24, notice what he says here. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. That's the focus of the the moral test, obedience. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given us. So how are we going to keep these commands? The Holy Spirit will help us to do that. It's interesting, as we look at these three primary tests that John gives us for assurance of salvation, these aren't things we do to get salvation These are things we do because we have salvation. We've placed our faith in Jesus. We've confessed him as Lord. We have trusted his death and his resurrection for our salvation. 
And he gives us his spirit when we place our faith. When we become followers of Christ, he gives us his spirit. And his spirit helps us to do the work that God has assigned to us. So even in 1 John 3.24, as he's talking about keeping commandments, it's interesting the connection that he has in those who are his, he's given us his spirit. His spirit helps us. But there's also help for the doctrinal test. How do we know who Jesus is? How will we place our, how do we know what to believe about God, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, 1 John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You see, we've been given the Spirit of God who helps us and, and allows us to place our faith in what is right and what is true. So not only do we have this moral test of who we will follow in obedience, but we have this doctrinal test about what we will believe, our beliefs. If we don't believe the right things, then there's no way we can have a relationship with the one true God. So there's, there's help from God, the Holy Spirit, for the moral test, the doctrinal test, and where we're focused on today is for the social test, love, how we treat each other. Now, we've seen this already a couple of times. And what we've said is that John just keeps bringing us back to these three tests. It's circular in nature. It's repetitive. And, and it's good that we have the repetition. How else would we retain other than that we hear it a number of times? So I, I hope that as we're working our way through 1 John, and we have only two more sermons to go in 1 John, I hope that when we're done, you'll be able to say, you know, there, there are three evidences of someone's salvation. Someone says, how do I know I'm saved? Well, let me take you to 1 John. There are a few tests. There are three tests that he repeats uh, a number of times throughout this. And, and, of course, again, we've seen this social test. And even as we focus back, in the middle, you'll, you'll see verses 7 through 21 being about love, loving one another. Love is from God. But in the middle of all that, we find this verse like we do in the other test. By this, verse 13, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit so he is light the moral test and we will not live in darkness he is truth the doctrinal test and we will not live in error and he is love so we will not live in hate toward one another so now let's think about how he helps us now once you receive the holy spirit and he lives in you you don't all of a sudden become in this trance. You don't all of a sudden become a, a robot now that you're just going to do everything that uh, God has told you to do. It, it's not like God takes over in that sense. Now, God deserves to have all of you. God deserves for you to surrender everything to him. Part of that is our coming to faith is that we're surrendering to him but God doesn't just take it over you. Some people say, well, you know, I, I, I've surrendered my life to Christ. I'm following him, but I'm still struggling. Well, welcome to life. We all struggle. We, we still live in the flesh. God didn't take away the flesh. God didn't take away those 
sinful tendencies that we still are drawn to and the laziness or the workaholism or whatever it might be, all of those extremes and disobediences, God doesn't just wipe all of that out. Now, I'm thankful for justification that he legally declares me right before God. But I'm also thankful for sanctification, this process of growing and maturing and learning how how to receive the help that God wants to give me day by day in my walk with him. So there are a few ways that we can think about him helping us. How, How does he help us? Well, he convicts. Back in John, in his gospel, I I told you chapters 14 through 16 say a lot about the Holy Spirit. Well, let me note a couple of those. John 16, in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, now mark that, the helper, I, I like how it's, Stated in the ESV, I like that it's a capital letter as well. The helper will not come to you. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That happened on the day of Pentecost. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he explains some of that to us. We can't be saved without the work of the Spirit. He is drawing us to God. God wants us in his family. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes it's hard to even imagine. When we look at our lives and we see the sin that is there, we think, how could God ever want me? How could he ever desire me? It's kind of like when you're dating and you realize this other person wants to spend the rest of their lives with you. It's kind of, really? with me now I remember when my wife and I met and it wasn't long that she asked me out on a date (laughs) and on that first date I was getting ready to shake her hand and she gave me this big kiss (laughs) now that's unbelievable right and that that, that's not true by the way she's over here thinking what is he talking about up there That, that that didn't happen but wouldn't that be unbelievable? <laughs> it is unbelievable. <laughs> we dream of that. that you know, that, that didn't happen. But that's, that's a little bit like how unbelievable it is that God wants us, you know. He's, he, he's drawing us. He's bringing conviction. Thank God that he convicts us of sin. That there's guilt and there's shame and that there's this uh, overriding sense of this is not right, it's not good, and... Because God's saying, I want to come and I want to wash you white as snow. The Holy Spirit's convicting us of sin and of righteousness. He's showing us what life could be like and how holy God is in the light of his goodness. And he's showing us judgment that there is going to be a day when this life is going to be over. He's showing us things, what grace God is showing so that we would be drawn even more to him. God wants us. He convicts us. No way we could be saved without the work of the Spirit. He indwells us. Again, it's an unbelievable thing. When when we accept Christ, when, when we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ and begin to follow Him, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Look in John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word another is 
just like the one you already have, Jesus. The Holy Spirit's like Jesus. He's God. You're going to get another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, He indwells you 24-7, ongoing help. He is always there. Everywhere we go, He is there with us. For all who follow Christ, you've got a 24-7 helpline who is always with us and who knows exactly what we need. Even we don't even know what to ask for. He interprets our groans and our yearning in ways that intercedes for us and makes our petition even for God. He helps. And in John 14, 15, it was very clear. But, but notice in Romans chapter 8, we're, we're doing a little bit more of uh, a broader theology of the Holy Spirit. But, but look in Romans 8 and verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. See, if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you and indwell you, you're, you're not in the family of God. And that's what John's been saying in his letter, First John. That's how we know that we're in his family. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and what's he producing? You say, we're going to get to that. That's what he's helping us do is produce something. But look, look further in Romans 8. Look down in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then down in verse 26. There, there's a lot that could be read here, but let's, I'm, I'm just focused on a few pieces of this. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And of course, we could just keep going through that to read more. But what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit, he helps. Now, Paul Brownback, who's actually a part of our church family here at Lawndale and is sitting in our congregation this morning, he wrote a a little book called How to Be the CEO of Your Life. I commend it to you. He's going to teach it in the, uh, in the January Wednesday night classes that are going to be offered. I, I hope to highlight a few of those. And this morning I'll, I'll, I'll highlight the class he's going to teach. He spoke to our pastors uh, about this book, some of the principles of it this past week. But, but he said this, The Holy Spirit does not guide us by controlling us. If he controlled us robot-like, we would be passive in the process. You see, God doesn't just take over control of your life. He empowers us to do what he's called us to do. We have responsibility. Wouldn't that be neat? Okay, God, you take over now. I'm bordering on probably some of the theology that we've heard at different times in our lives crossing some lines here because you, you've heard the statement, just let go and let God, and again, wouldn't that be kind of neat? If I have a struggle in my life just to let go, and no, God, God tells me, 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourselves for godliness. I, I'm not just living a meaningless life, but I'm, I'm taking 
action and disciplining my, my life and my body as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So there is this sense that we want to surrender to God and let him live through us, but that's not where I just take my hands off and say, okay, if it doesn't, if it doesn't happen, it's all God's fault. No, God puts the responsibility with us to, to take action, to be controlled and led, to be led by the Spirit. Well, here, here's another thing that, that Paul actually says in his book. Let me read this second quote. This alternative, the Holy Spirit guiding our thought process as we apply the related principles of Scripture requires that we thoroughly familiarize ourselves with the principles of Scripture related to our current decision, gather information on the available options, and then apply those biblical principles to the options under consideration with special focus on which choice lends itself to maximum agape production. And of course, that's why we're here on earth, right? Love God with all our heart, love our neighbor as ourselves, second greatest commandment. Now, again, the idea here is for us to think through, who is it that really we, we should be following? It's, it's God. It's, it's the Holy Spirit who lives in us who will prompt us because we've spent time in the Word. Maybe we don't follow the Spirit because we don't know what God has said. The Spirit has inspired these, these words. We have now allowed Him to uh, be in our lives and to lead us as we follow him. He will help us do the work that God has called us to do. So here are some ways that he helps us. By teaching us. Again, John 14, 26, Jesus said he will teach you all truth. Same thing in John 16, you can look up that passage. So if I'm reading in the word of God and I'm listening to the word of God on a Sunday, I'm reading through the week, the Holy Spirit's teaching me. He's guiding me. I'm, I'm spending time in the Word, and so now when I, when I uh, am needing direction, I not only have the clear black and white Word of God, but I have the principles of the Word of God. So if the Bible doesn't speak directly to something, there are principles that apply. And if I've been in, in the Word, if I've let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly, the Holy Spirit who lives in me, will direct me and guide me. He helps me. The Holy Spirit helps me. I, I, I guess one reason I'm emphasizing this is sometimes we, when we struggle with sin, we say, well, why, haven't, why hasn't God just taken that desire away from me? It's a sinful desire. Why, why hasn't God just helped me to love this person that I feel some anger and some bitterness toward and God's asking you, one, to turn from your sin and to repent. God's, God is requiring you to go through a training process where you're growing and you're learning, and God's just not going to take all of that away from us. Now, there are some instances where some things have just taken completely out of the way. I get that. But as a whole, we're all progressing and we're all growing, and so he's teaching us day by day, but he's also producing. That's how he helps us. He's producing this fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, pay all nine parts of that one fruit. He's producing it. He's helping us 
to grow in these areas of our lives so that we can be a, a, a witness for Christ so we can live the kind of life that he put us here on earth to live. So if you've just been kind of sitting back and you've been thinking, you know, I, I'm just waiting on God to do all these things in my life. God's waiting on you to take initiative, take responsibility, to grow in your life. And he's saying, I'm not going to leave you to do it all by yourself, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send a helper. He has sent a helper. I'm going to give you one who will live with you and live in you, who will help you, who will be a constant reminder, who will convict you when you need it, who will lead you, who will teach you, who's working to produce this stuff in your life. But train yourselves to be godly. Live by the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's helping us. It's kind of like I know what God wants me to do, but sometimes I realize I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not wise enough. And so there's that reminder, the Holy Spirit's here to help me. I'm not here doing it by myself. Now the Holy Spirit's not going to make me stand up out of my chair or off of my couch. Now there may be times when when all of a sudden a thought may pop in and we may jump up out of our, I, I get that. But typically, I'm having to make a decision. Am I going to get up out of this chair? Am I going to get to know my neighbor? God's not going to make me do that. He loves me. He's helping me. He's teaching me. He's growing me. But I've got to take action and take responsibility. And again, if you've just been waiting for some lightning bolt... If you've been waiting on some sign, you know, one day I'm going to serve God, but it's going to have to, I'm going to have to see my name written across the sky. One day I'm going to do this, but I'm just waiting for this to happen or that to happen. And, and that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He lives in us, and He's teaching us. He's shaping us. He's producing the fruit of the Spirit in us. He's given us gifts so that we can do the work of God but he's saying you've got to take action. One of the examples that Paul uses in his book is a guy who's trying to pick up a piece of equipment and put it on the back of his truck. And he picks it up one time, he can't get it in. He picks it up another time, he can't get it in. As a matter of fact, when it's all on him, he even gets weaker. But then there's a helper over here who comes along and says, let me help you pick that up. And then the, guy, then the helper says, I'll tell you what, I'll ride with you so that we can unload it together. You see, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He will help us. He doesn't leave us to do it all by ourselves, but there's responsibility, there's initiative, there's training, there's discipline. We have to take responsibility. Don't just say, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do all of that through me. I, I, I think sometimes we say something, some of that as a, as a mark of humility. I can't do anything. Only God can do it through me. But I'm going to tell you, God's given you responsibility that you're supposed to get up. You're supposed to go out and the Holy Spirit will go with you and help you in each part of the process. He helps. But he also seals. Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 4 talks about the Holy Spirit who seals us until the day of redemption. God puts his mark on us, just like the king's signet ring and that wax. And we're sealed into the day of redemption. We have the Holy Spirit who will not let us go. As a matter of fact, when the Holy Spirit is living in us, 
God's love is so great that he will continue to teach and to mold and shape and to discipline until we get it right. He's helped. That's the kind of help that God gives us. He seals us. Now, why do we need his help? Well, that brings us back to our main text this morning. Why do we need help? Well, when I'm reading 1 John chapter 4, I see some incredible instructions here. I I, I see I, I could not be saved unless God helps me. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's God's love that's been made known to us and saves us. It's, It's the help of God. The Holy Spirit is working to give us new hearts of love. He is the one who brings the new DNA of God to us when we're born again. The Holy Spirit, we're commanded to love. We couldn't do it if we weren't born again like God intends. Now, could there be some loving things that we do? Yes, but to live totally for the benefit of others, for the, for the glory of God, we can't do that ourselves. We need a helper. And so we've been born again. The Holy Spirit has brought new birth for us, given us new DNA. Verse 8 of 1 John 4, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's who God is, and the Holy Spirit brings that to us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It's not some just abstract thought. God is love. It's concrete. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We've talked about that a good bit already. Jesus died. He took the the penalty that we deserved. He satisfied the wrath of God. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to think even more about what Jesus did for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, verse 11, we also ought to love one another. You see, the Holy Spirit is not only working to give us new hearts of love, the Holy Spirit's working to grow us in love. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. How are people going to know the love of God? They're going to see it because we're showing the love of God. People cannot see God. They can see the effect of God in the creation itself, but they should see the love of God through the people of God. That's where it becomes concrete. It's not some abstract God loves you. We put it into practice and we show people the love of God. He who is invisible manifests himself not only in the cross in a concrete way, but through the church in a concrete way. So how are people going to know we follow Christ? Well, they'll know it by the way we love one another. They know that there is a God. They know what the love of God looks like because they look at the cross and they they look at the church. God's working to grow us in love. You're not perfect yet. There are times when you feel anger towards someone. There are times when it's hard to forgive somebody. There are times it's easy to sit back and think someone else will help this person. And the Holy Spirit's there helping you, saying, no, you you do that. No, you step up. No, you take action. You take initiative. You take responsibility. Discipline yourself for obedience to God. 
And the Holy Spirit's working to get us ready for judgment about love. Because this is what we're going to be held accountable to as followers of Christ. How we not only loved God, but how we loved one another. And the Holy Spirit's producing this love in our lives. And he's working to get us ready for when Christ comes back. Notice in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. That's, that's our text. That's our key. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that God the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected. Now, we've seen that word earlier in verse 12. His love is perfected. Now we see it again in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. Are you ready for the day of judgment? Have you come to that place in your life where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? What he did for you on the cross. Have you become one of his followers? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Are you not only saved, ready, all those who are saved will enter into heaven, but are, are you living your life in obedience? Are you living with the help of God? We all need the help of God to live the life that he intends for us to live. And he's perfecting us so that one day when we stand before the judgment, we will not be ashamed, but that we'll be welcomed and we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not so sure that a robot would get much out of hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's just been programmed to do that. But we're people. That God's given us a will and given us desires and when we submit them all to God and discipline ourselves for godliness, it's a sweet offering to Him that we, we chose to do that. We've given it to him. We've surrendered it all. And we've been willing. You know, if my kids, if I'm just going in and doing all their work for them, and, you know, man, your room looks great today. I'm just doing all their work for them. Am I going to say, well done. You, you did a great job. No, I, I'm training them so that they can do that job of, of cleaning their room and taking care of the stuff that they have. I don't want to be ashamed when I stand before God. He's, he's so great, and look at what he's done for us. And Are you afraid that Jesus might come back today? Do you live in that fear? What if he came back today? You see, verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We're not growing in love. If we're living in that fear, the more love we grow in, the more assurance we have. The more obedience, the more assurance. Not, not more salvation, but more assurance, the more obedience. I, okay, God's working. The more, the more love, uh, the, the right beliefs, God's teaching us. He's growing us and he's perfecting us. He's making us more like Christ. That's the help of the Holy Spirit. You could never become like Christ on your own. But when you're saved, when you receive 
Christ and you receive his spirit, his spirit is there to help you to become more like Christ. He's getting us ready for the judgment. We love, verse 19, because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Why, why do we like to think about heaven? Why, do the, why does the church talk about it, sing about it this morning, the hymn of heaven? Because we know that's when God will get the glory completely that he deserves. We'll be home as well. All things will be made right. We will honor God like we were meant to for ultimate joy. Love will be perfect. God is perfecting us now. But one day, he will bring us to Christ-likeness, perfection. Today is Reformation Day. It was fitting that we sung, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Do you think Martin Luther was strong enough to do what he did when he nailed the 95 Thesis on Castle Church, October 31st, 1517? I think he had divine help. Verse 4 of that song, did you pick that up when we sung it? The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. He knew the, the work of the Spirit. I love what Martin Luther said in his commentary on Galatians. The believing man hath the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit dwelleth, he will not suffer a man to be idle but stirreth him up to all exercises of piety and godliness and of true religion, to the love of God, to the patient suffering of afflictions, to prayer, to thanksgiving, and the exercise of charity towards all men. You see, you have a helper. God's stirring you up. Again, I've never had one of those cattle prods hit me while I'm sitting down, and I didn't, I've never leapt up. But I've sat there and the Holy Spirit began to stir me. I've sat there as I've read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's helped me and encouraged me and spoken to me through the Word of God. He helps me. Days when I feel like I want to give up, the Holy Spirit, you know what He's doing? He's helping me. He's teaching me. He's comforting me. He's directing me. He's producing the fruit of God. That's what Martin Luther felt. He felt the help of God to do something much bigger than himself. And, and oftentimes we're living in only what we can do ourselves rather than letting the helper come alongside of us and help us to do what God meant for us to do here on earth. As we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, this altar is going to be open as we sing our closing hymn. Maybe you've not been listening to the Holy Spirit in your life, helping you. You've just been kind of doing it yourself. And every time he speaks, you've been putting him off or making excuses and justifying it rather than letting him help you. Some of you think you can do it yourself. You're too prideful. You're, you're arrogant in the sense, I, I've got it. No, you don't. You've been given a helper, and he wants to lead you and, and speak to you and teach you. And sometimes that means humbling ourselves and dying to self to let the Holy Spirit guide us and lead us and to live a life of discipline, taking uh, this flesh and, and feeding it, so to speak, into submission, just offering it unto God.
living the kind of disciplined life. What's God saying to you this morning about letting the Holy Spirit help you? Have you, have you been saying no? Well, this morning the Holy Spirit is knocking, wanting to help. Don't say no in those areas of your life. Ask Him, God, teach me. God, lead me. God, I want to surrender. Help me. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you don't leave us where we are, that you're constantly at work in our lives with the helper, speaking and leading and teaching and disciplining. And I pray that this morning that you'll do that good work in each of us. God, I pray that we would not harden our hearts For those who don't know you, I pray that this would be an act of surrender time where they place their faith in Christ's death and resurrection and confess Jesus as Lord. I pray for for others who already know you that they'll stop living a life of disobedience. They'll stop settling for a life of some love but won't perfect love. I pray that they would stop settling for a a life of some light but won't total light. I, I pray that we will say yes to what your Spirit is teaching us and leading us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our closing song, one of the most beautiful songs of our faith, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let's stand together, sing it as a prayer unto the Lord.